a home. It's something we all need. But for too many, having a safe place to make a home is out of reach. The challenges can seem insurmountable. And yet, each and every day, people are coming together to provide safe, quality, and affordable housing for those in need. Welcome to Let's Talk Housing. I'm your host, Sarah Goldvine. Join us as we listen to and learn from people in British Columbia who are creating strong, inclusive communities where everyone can thrive. Welcome back to part two of the wildfire response episode on Let's Talk Housing. On part one, we heard about what happened when people without homes had to flee as wildfires raged around Kelowna. We left off just as shelter residents and staff were headed to the nearby city of Penticton. Let's pick up the story. Well, full transparency as you're going through the planning, um, you miss really small, important details like making sure the bus driver had the right address. So uh, there was at first, um, I, I I get a call from a staff and they go, I, I don't think we're at the right place. And I was like, okay, that's really good. Sure. Um, but at that time, there are so many things that you're pivoting on already. I'm like, no problem. We can figure this one out. So um, we, our management team had landed around the same time. We wanted to be at both locations to receive folks. And that was part of the evacuation again was um, I, I really had to kind of figure out with staff and what is someone's capacity? So is someone needing an overdose prevention site to use their substances? Um, and, or is someone going to be safe in a room uh, where the door closes? And, and maybe that's going to be a better place for that person based on what they need for themselves at that time as well. So there was two sites and I mean, Nanette had the full names and I'm going to butcher it because I know it as Ask Wellness and I know it as Compass and those are my two barometers. Um, so we had those two sites, folks get off the buses and, uh, and so for me, I guess when I'm watching all this go down, I think about when it comes to displacement, natural disasters, but just, I think, crisis and community and how all of us are connected by land and by people. And when people are hurting and suffering, um, that that's part of me, that's part of you, that's all of us. And what was so evident when everyone got off the buses and who we were greeted by and how was that the service providers, the clients on site, um, everyone understood that um, we all needed each other and we we all deserved um, that kindness and support and collaboration, so to speak. I guess I was just really moved because sometimes, and I'll speak for myself on this, when you get to a new site and I'm like, I don't know if I, I, I mean, maybe this is eldest child burden kind of vibes coming out for you right now, but I'm like, what if they're angry and we're a burden to them? I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to be getting in, in bringing so many folks and what happens if like, they're like, okay, hi, like, what? not that they would be, but I don't know what I'm walking into. And it was the most kind, happy at eight o'clock, nine o'clock PM people. And they had all their staff there. They were like, Hey everyone, this is what this looks like. They were, um, on both sites, the most welcoming to staff 
and to clients and doing watching them do the intake process with our clients. And I think that's something uh, that maybe lots of folks might not understand either is when people are needing to access services who are vulnerable, um, whether it be through housing or mental health or any health, is the amount of times people have to do intakes and retell their journey or their or their information is substantial. And that in and of itself is re-traumatizing sometimes, never mind the displacement. So um, when I watched the way that staff held our clients and our team in such a trauma-informed way, um, it really, it, like, I, I, it doesn't cure burnout, but it sure helps in the sense that you really feel people holding you and having your back. And I don't think you get to feel or see that magic all the time. And something cool, can I share like a really... Um, so, so when we got to, I mean, both sites, like both sites had just these like really beautiful moments with our team. And something that I think about too, was when we went to ask wellness and I am going to share it from my perspective and I could be wrong on a few logistics, but to my understanding, they're new, a really gorgeous new recovery site in Penticton. It's very exciting for the community. They're bringing in all of this wonderful, um, indigenous guidance and lens and this amazing team, but it's a new recovery facility. It's a dry facility, right? These are folks that have made the choice for recovery in the Penticton area. We need more recovery sites. And we get there and there's like, I don't know, seven, seven folks that are ready to do intakes with all of us. And they go, we thought we were getting like 60 of you or like 40. And I said, no, 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 this is a small crew. Like we get that this site is, is for folks that have the capacity, you know, for a more uh, closed door environment. And, um, and they said, oh, we were rushing all day. We found you like an overdose prevention, like site bus situation. Cause you can pull in consumption sites, you know, like trailers, buses, I'm missing the verbiage for it. Um, and I said, you did what? And they said, we didn't know who we were getting, but everyone was welcome. And they said, we really wanted to make sure that people were safe and that people had a place here. And then they shared how they sat down with people that were in recovery and they said, Hey, this is going to look a little different for a little while. And we really want to make sure that everyone is safe. Everyone is cared for. This could be what it looks like, but they sat down with their clients. They sat down with their staff. And, um, I, th- we, we know their stigma and the opioid epidemic. We know that not even the stigma, but there are safety concerns and especially with folks in recovery. But the fact that you saw from both organizations and just also in this example alone, people who were so, I think, empathetic and collaborative in this process of, um, moving, not necessarily away from systems, but truly like that's not a, that's not a systemic approach. That's an approach of community care. And for me, someone that really prioritizes transformative justice and community care to see how, to see how many people were willing to put the person first. And that I get, I think gets forgotten sometimes in crisis as we put the system before the people. And I just kept seeing so many people in power positions and leadership come from a power with dynamic and put people first. And I feel, um, I feel like that's really hopeful because like, it's, it's pretty scary out there sometimes. And so to see that is ferociously moving. It's a really weird word to use for that, but it was great. So anyways, that was my intro to Penticton and I love Penticton. Ferociously moving. Oh, we have to use that term more. Yeah. So, so, so Nanette, I mean, this is such a 
beautiful example of, as Kathleen mentioned, community care. Um, what, what needed to happen to be able to ensure that those partners in Penticton were able to really provide the, the support for folks who were displaced with turning points? Well, it's, it's interesting because both ASK uh, Wellness and PDSEL, they are leaders in their own right in, in the interior region in terms of, um, well, ASK Wellness does, does a lot um, other than just housing, but certainly their, their whole philosophy as well as PDSEL, they, they have a dynamic organization as well. And it does come from a, a client-centered approach and their the care that they took to transition these folks into their sites. And, and Kathleen, I wasn't aware of, of Ask Wellness and Sempowtitan and what they did to try to lever some community resources for those folks who do have a substance use issue. I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to get to? Um, in terms of, of really trying to uh, integrate our service provision in a way that makes sense. And I, I didn't know that. And so um, that's ferociously, <laughs> what did you say? Ferociously hopeful? Moving. Moving. Yeah. Ferociously moving. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I think that if more people could hear this story, um, because of the stigma attached to those people who are unhoused, if more people could hear the story of those shelter guests at PDSCL who I heard, you know, they wanted to do a movie night. And so they, they, they wanted to, to, and that's, and so they wanted people to feel welcome and have a movie and Hey, you belong. And this is great. Look at the show we're going to put on. Um, people have a, a narrative about, you know, why people become homeless, why they continue to remain homeless and all these other things, which are usually not embedded in any sort of truth. And so these kinds of examples, I hope if enough people hear it, will sort of break down some of that so so we can get some traction on having some meaningful housing and some meaningful supports for, for these individuals who find themselves without a home. Yeah, I, I think that's so important in that, um, is that we see, we see narratives about people experiencing homelessness, um, people without housing all the time. Um, many, many of them are exceptionally harmful. Um, and then sometimes it's just those folks, the stories and voices are completely absent. Um, Kathleen, what, when you watch like news stories and media coverage of wildfire responses and, and given what you've shared and your own experience, um, what's your reaction? What's, what's missing from the public narrative about wildfires? I think what's missing is this perception that we are, um, that everyone has the resources in a natural disaster. I I fully credit the municipalities' responses that were experiencing wildfires and the regional district um, and and the way that they were able to communicate. I recognize that there is such a robust infrastructure that we've had to develop in natural disasters. And I think that that 
um, wa- watching those updates were quite informative and moving and really well done to pull community together. And I think the public perception when you're watching a lot of this, and I, I would if I did not work in this sector, I think what I would assume is that everybody has a place to go. And, you know, Nanette said that there's this perception of houselessness or folks that need access to service. And so when we had moved into the Penticton community, something to acknowledge uh, with our own accountability and responsibility was absolutely our shelter was no longer operable in Kelowna. And then other service providers are going to need that additional support. So we did have team members that were still in Kelowna that were able to uh, support a little bit more in terms of shelter diversion. And that's an initiative that, uh, that's an initiative specifically that we've had um, in a lot of embedded in our programs for the past two years, but now it's become quite a collaborative process with different organizations. And so Ultimately, the vulnerability opened up this opportunity for us to collaborate with other organizations in Kelowna to house at Metro, our shelter diversion program. So if somebody was uh, more vulnerable or precarious during the wildfires where it's maybe they didn't feel comfortable going to the hub over at Prospera or maybe for other reasons they didn't feel like they'd qualify or they're just like couch hopping or more vulnerable or even outside is that they could go to Metro at the shelter hub and we would provide diversion services of figuring out where is the safest, best place that we can support you to now as well. And that's been something after the wildfires that has continued with service providers and is going quite well. Um, And I think, so back to your media question though, I think a lot of uh, assumptions can be made instead of curiosity about what is needed and a frame of mind that, I mean, and this isn't me saying that I have all the answers because we sure know I don't. Something that I think with media specifically or how we digest community responses, because even for myself, sometimes I'm like, well, how did that happen? Or why, why, why are people doing that? Is the ability to come with curiosity and ask what do we need is a far more insightful process, I think, than just taking things sometimes at the value of what we're reading online immediately. Because I see so much, I mean, you even see Mamas for Mamas response in Kelowna with the wildfires too. And I know they mobilized a lot and I'm sure it came from community members asking, hey, what do you need? And I think that's a really powerful question to ask anybody and come from curiosity. And so I think what I would love when it comes to crisis and natural disaster is all of us in community within our positionality, we're connected with natural supports everywhere, right? So we all have these communities of people. Hopefully they don't all um, exist in the same socioeconomic status or housing areas as it, we should have diverse communities. And I think the important thing in crisis is looking at who are we checking in with and how are we asking, what do you need right now? Because the more we check in with those people in our lives and the more supports we have, it also makes room for nonprofits to respond and allocate their resources to those that are systemically most vulnerable or might not have those natural supports. So I think media-wise, to summarize, because I'm going on a bit of a tangent, 
Um, I think my favorite questions or my favorite themes are coming curious and assuming responsibility for what we are able to in our capacity and asking people, what do you need? And that would be my answer to that question. Imagine if we started from that place, hey? Um, Nanette, the interior region, as you mentioned, you know, you oversee um, BC Housing's operations for a region of the province that has been experiencing significant wildfire activity for a number of years now, um, historically, but it's significantly increased over the last few years because of climate change. Um, What do you think other parts of the province or even, you know, other parts of Canada should be learning from what you and your team have seen um, that works well or doesn't work well uh, working together with uh, housing partners in the interior? I think in terms of our emergency response, there needs to be almost a parallel process for those who are vulnerable. So, Because the needs of a family who have been evacuated with their dog is very different from the needs of someone coming out of shelter. Um, And we need to crack that because that's how you're able to figure out what actually do they need and then build a system of care around that individual. And that happens um, only from a place where you have enough resources to do that. In this case, Turning Points used whatever staffing complement that they had from the Richter Street site to basically augment what was happening at Metro because they saw a need because frankly, folks turned up at the emergency operations center and either they didn't get, didn't get what they need or they felt like they didn't belong and that can't happen. So we need a place where people can access the resources that are available to everyone and ensure that there is, uh, kind of like that case management to support that individual because what you don't want to see is more impact to an emergency response system that is already in full gear in a fire-related event. So you don't want to see more people accessing hospital. You do not want to see more calls to RCMP or to fire ambulance because those systems are maxed out in an evacuation. They're all doing different things to support what's happening at the community level. So we need a parallel process that takes that place of what Turning Points was doing kind of off the side of their desk. They saw it as a need, but we need to factor that in as a a base level supports in times of like fires, flood, whatever the climate impacts are. Can I jump in on that? Because that was such a great learning that we had as well was um, what would it look like next time? And it just in passing conversation, if, if we had our shelter diversion or outreach team be at like Prospera or where like the emergency hub was to support folks in case management and diversion, where like Nanette said, the needs of a family are going to look different than folks that are navigating houselessness or substance use or different medical issues or disabilities. And, and to have some more of those navigators that way that really understand from a parallel perspective, um, just really echoing that that was something that we're like, we probably could have supported a little bit more of that for the folks that we specifically service. And so next time I think that it really just also highlighted opportunities for more collaboration in future for those kind of situations, for sure. Thank you for that. I'm going to squeeze in one last question. So um, as I mentioned in the intro, we're recording this in November. It's wet. It's cold. Um, 
Kathleen, how are folks now? How are how is your staff, um, and how are the clients and and residents uh, that Turning Points supports? How are they doing? And um, what you know, what what's your areas of focus to be able to support people with their with their lives at this point? That's a it's a really good question. I think for us as an organization and the folks that we're supporting, I mean, it, it varies. Um, what I guess the cool, exciting things that I'm seeing right now is when we're looking at our continuum of housing, we're really looking at it from a perspective of shelter is not a home. And it, it's a it's a place for safe, like you, you need a roof over your head. It's a, it's a really good low barrier place that folks... Uh, come for access, but we're really prioritizing how are we putting that case management to use in our other housing options uh, with the supports that we're providing to folks, whether it be connecting them to uh, health support, social supports, what have you. And I mean, we do this all the time, but I think there is this hyper-focus in terms of case management that we're really putting into play for more robust supports. Not that it hasn't existed beforehand. It's not a new innovative tool, but it really is this priority so that I think, I mean, whether it's natural disasters or whether it's moving folks within this continuum is that everyone does have this, I, I would say, pod. Um, I'm big on pod mapping. It's really, really wonderful. We'll talk about it another time. But really evaluating that, making sure that everyone has a support and doesn't fall through those cracks. Staff-wise, I think the wildfire was I shouldn't say the wildfire was wonderful. Um, Staff-wise, though, what was really wonderful was seeing how much everyone came to support each other and the uh, bonding that took place from that. Obviously, you kind of, I don't know if you anticipate that necessarily, but to see everyone uh, be so accommodating to each other's needs and then the team building that occurs from that is quite profound. I noticed for us as well, the... I'm trying to, like, it's not even silo, but like for us, it's been really cool to engage with Penticton in terms of like, what are some strategies that are working really well for you um, within your like shelters or supportive housing that provides more safety to clients, um, that provides more success. So we've actually been able to do more knowledge sharing with other service providers. And I think that naturally or historically, I would say, I used to not see a lot of um, knowledge exchange between nonprofits when I first kind of was engaging in this type of work. And I think we're realizing a lot more now that we're a lot more effective and strong together in addressing situations. So what really came out of this for us was seeing where we exist more siloed, which we try not to in general anyways, but really ensuring that if we're working with other service providers, I think people move to more stabilized housing quicker. And that's a really broad statement. Uh, but staff, staff are wonderful. I mean, I, everyone who responded is great. Um, and, and well, and I would say like everyone, who, everyone that responded is great. Um, they're wonderful in the job that they uh, provided and who they are and what they contributed. And I think for me, when you ask how staff are too, I think about those that lost their homes that are rebuilding right now. Um, and, and, that for me, I think I'm still mindful of those that are impacted by the wildfires where they're still moving through a lot with that. I think oftentimes when we respond to crisis, we respond to the immediate crisis and tending to the aftermath or the attention of that is different. But what I can share too is that 
we're very cognizant of that in terms of supporting um, the team members that work with us, but also clients. And the last thing about clients that just popped into my head is one of the wins for us with the folks that we serve within the community was when the wildfires happened. It allowed people to reflect on who their actual natural supports were and reach out. So nothing brings people together. Well, that's bad. I don't know if that's bad. Nothing brings people together sometimes like a natural disaster. And to see people uh, be welcomed back into their family units, to see people reconnect or try to rebuild relationships so they had safe housing. Um, we diverted a lot of people from shelter. Again, shelters are not long-term solutions for people's housing. So a really great win that I think I saw was people finding uh, safer places to live as well. And I think that's continued on since the wildfires and it's really supported that shelter diversion service model that we're integrating so much now. Thank you for that, Kathleen. I'm going to squeeze in one last question for Nanette. Um, and Nanette, I mean, you work, of course, with Turning Points. You work with lots of other housing providers and then you've got your own team. Um, why do you think people who do this work are as committed as Kathleen and her team are? Um, obviously, housing people are special people. What do you think makes people lean into this work and continue to show up every day, particularly in a crisis? Well, I think there's that straight line between what you do and the impact of what you do. I mean, they make a difference every single day. And and while the work is, is hard, there is so much, there's so many nuggets that you can take away. Um, like just like Kathleen was saying, you know, had it not been the fire, they may not have kind of had people do that looking at, you know, their previous relationships, looking at family, looking at some of those key things that maybe people aren't ready to deal with, but in a crisis, sometimes you have to. And so, you know, those are wins. Um, those connections are wins. And sometimes these connections take a long time, but when you get it, you feel something. And all of the folks that work in our sector they feel something because they are making a difference and it's tough work. There is no doubt about it. But when you see something like this um, work and nobody suffered, everyone felt like we were all on the same page. I mean, it's, it's inspiring and it keeps you going. I mean, you have to look at these wins. Yeah, it really, it really is inspiring. Um, Kathleen, Nanette, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Let's talk again soon. To learn more about BC Housing, including how to apply for subsidized housing in British Columbia, visit bchousing.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and X. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating. This will help others find Let's Talk Housing and join the conversation. You can subscribe to Let's Talk Housing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.